SNL After Party is brought to you by camfansonly.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Saturday Night Live After Party Month in Review Edition. Mike Bloom here to talk through February 2019 in review on Saturday Night Live Season 44, specifically the episodes hosted by Halsey and Don Cheadle, respectively. Of course, I am not alone. I am joined by Mario Lanza, but Mario, this is a bit awkward. Uh, You sent me a pretty lurid message on Valentine's Day, and I don't want to think about you on that day, to be quite honest. Mike Bloom, I will not be ignored. Now I'm just going to hopefully put the imagery out of audiences' heads to Photoshop Mario's head onto maybe a different type of head that might have been associated with Jeff Bezos in the past couple of weeks. <laughs> Let, let's not put that out there for the internet to take care of. Yes, please. There's there's enough bad press about me out there. I don't need a dick pic of my head. So please, let's not do that. But again, as always, I'm excited to be here, Mike. Every day I get to podcast with you is the best day of my life. So it's always exciting. So let's get into February 2019. I think we left January 2019 in a little bit of an odd place. I think we were both saying Rachel Brosnahan was pretty good. James McAvoy, a little bit of a plane crash uh, that happened to be spurred upon a air traffic control agent who you don't really understand his language. But I will say, I think February 2019, they were able to steer that plane back into the atmosphere, and now they're sort of at a good cruising altitude. I think there were things to enjoy about both of these episodes. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of it all, Mario, how did you feel about the Halsey and Don Cheadle episodes? I was pleasantly surprised, and I know that'll probably catch some people off guard, because I'm famously kind of salty about SNL, and I've been very vocal this season that I think they do maybe one good episode, two bad episodes. It's kind of been one to two, or the ratio. And I think both of these were actually pretty strong episodes. This is the first time, I think, the season where we had two really above-average episodes back-to-back, and I would put both of them in my top six, especially the Halsey. I know you like the Don Cheadle one a little more. I really like the Halsey episode. So I will say this has been my favorite month of the season so far. I think they're on a strong uh, a, a hot streak at the moment. Yeah, and hopefully that portends well, just like it did for the back half of uh, season 43 last year considering who's coming up which i'm sure we'll talk about at the end that seems to be strong but yeah i don't know if it was the sketches i don't know if it's the political material or nonsense material that's supporting these sketches i feel like the performances definitely contributed to it i feel like particularly don Cheadle, not gonna lie might be my favorite host of the season so far i thought he was so game and the show knew he was game he was put in so many different positions to be the weird guy in all these sketches that it was such a delight to see him yeah and he's mostly known as being a dramatic actor which is really cool and i i've said this many many times on these podcasts that that's that's kind of how i judge these celebrities how much i like them is by how well they do in snl because in snl you kind of get to see what they're really like in real life and Don Shield just seems like a cool, laid-back guy who's up for anything, and he's got the talented, dramatic chops that he can pull off stuff, like one in particular, the Roach sketch. Like, he's doing some really serious, dramatic acting in a very comic piece, and it really makes it so much better that someone could play a role like that. So, yeah, I, I really liked him. And again, Halsey, I just have to say, I had no idea who she was before, and I really liked her. I thought she had a lot of charisma. She was fun. She seemed smart. There was scenes where the regulars were you know, glued to the cue cards, and she wasn't. Like She yeah. was actually more professional than some of the, the regulars on the show, so I was 100% impressed by Halsey. But yeah, Don Cheadle was one I knew would be pretty well, just because he's solid in everything he does. Yeah, with Halsey, 
I mean, if we're putting this on the spectrum of dual host slash musical guests from Justin Timberlake to Justin Bieber, safe to say she's more on the former side of the spectrum than the latter. I will say, I think that she put in some good performances. I was not probably as blown away as you were. It had me saying, okay, I could understand why she was picked to do this, mm-hmm. considering that she is one of those rare combinations who didn't really have any, you know, prior acting experience. I believe maybe actually she had a couple of roles in a couple of films or so, but she's not really known for her dual acting singing, just more so for her singing. But I feel like she held her own. I feel like February 2019 actually might have been maybe the, one of the reasons why these two shows were so well received, at least by us, are that it was really a month of lowered expectations. I think that we were saying, mm-hmm. okay, we'll see what these two will bring. And I think they brought some really fun energy combined with some pretty solid premises. You know, there were still some clunkers here and there. So I will mm-hmm. say the, the two episodes were still a bit of a mixed bag. But quite honestly, in season 44, a mixed bag is going to mean at least top half. Yeah, and let's be fair. Even the greatest episodes of all time, SNL episodes, are going to have clunkers. Like People talk about the show like it's flawless. It's never been flawless at any point in history. So yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with having a couple clunkers on the, in the episodes. It's always – how I judge the episodes is how it, 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 it gathers momentum. It has to kind of start strong, and if you can get through the first couple sketches and like you're having a fun night, it almost doesn't matter what's after that because you've already determined this has been a fun show. That's kind of how I look at SNL. And the Halsey one in particular – just had a lot of momentum right off the bat and it just kind of carried all the way to the end. And that's when I think pe- people rewatch that one again. There aren't that many weak parts in that episode. It might not have the highs of some of the other ones, but it's pretty consistently fun and lighthearted and watchable. And again, I'm not saying she was like an all time great host or anything, but she had such natural charisma and just joy to be there. And she was up for stuff and she was, you know, doing accents and trying characters. And again, it starts with a monologue as we saw earlier with like Matt Damon this year and Aquafina that she's just some kid who grew up on the show and reveres SNL. So mm-hmm. she had so much love for the process. And it was, I just thought she was very infectious and I was very impressed. I really like both of these host monologues. I love that SNL this season is really trying some, I wouldn't say new stuff, but they're at least getting away from the tried and true things of let's have this person sing or let's have them take questions from the audience. You know, we still did get Leslie dropping in to do a cameo in what I thought was the worst bit of Don Cheadle's monologue where he literally explained the joke before the (laughs) joke actually happened, which was a bit nonsensical. But I feel like both of them really exuded charisma. I feel like Halsey, you know, introduced, you're someone who didn't really know her beforehand. I feel like she did a great job of introducing who she is, literally where she comes from. And I thought Cheadle did a great job of really lampshading his own career thus far i love this idea of the like percussive remembrance of oh yeah you're that guy from the and he puts he's showing off a bit of the moves he'll show off later on in the show with a little bit of a tito puente dancing but i loved how natural both of these monologues were and to your point i think it serves as a nice micro microcosm of how adeptly they fit into the material whether it be good or bad they tried to sell it as much as they could which was great Yeah, and I do have to say, I did not know John Cheadle came from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So that was a nice little bit of trivia that I learned. Absolutely. So let's start getting into, I want to ask a couple of overall overarching questions before we get into some of the things that we enjoyed out of these uh, two episodes. One big connector that I really want to pimp out in terms of SNL production, I feel like this these two episodes were a big highlight for the props team. Just because mm-hmm. there were a couple of sketches, particularly in the Cheadle episode, that I feel like couldn't have worked or wouldn't have worked nearly as well without <laughs> just the fantastic props that they put out there on a weekly basis. 
Are you talking about the melted cookie monster cake, Mike? I mean, that's a fantastic one. That, that cake sketch is just, and we can talk about that, I guess, uh, use this as a segue to get into that because that was one of my favorites from the two weeks. And it's interesting mm-hmm. because they broke the rule of three, Mario, in a manner of speaking. They had four contestants out there. And even though Heidi's was sort of the straight man in the scenario and that she really didn't have a problematic cake, I thought it was a really interesting way that they structured things. But yeah, I mean, that was a that was a sketch that was sold entirely on the visuals of it. So it really hinges on if you can produce really crappy looking cakes. And so when you have Leslie's come up, it's it's pretty laughable. Especially, I love the way her and Don specifically handle their their failures. You know, like yeah. my nerves got the best of me, and also I'm bad. Uh, they asked Don Cheadle, "What went wrong?" He goes, "I mean, me just being here and everything." <laughs> And then you get just the abomination of the Cookie Monster cake that has Sean written in it for some reason that eventually <laughs> gains sentience. I don't know, though, despite the visuals of that, my favorite, and actually one of my favorite, I think, uh, sad to say, or not sad to say, uh, it speaks to my own proclivities. My favorite line slash moment of this episode might have been Yoda and his famous penis. Yeah, see, I, I I tend more for the dark. You tend more for the penis humor. I tend more for the dark humor, where I like uh, the Cookie Monster, Melted Cookie Monster saying, send me to hell where I belong. <laughs> <laughs> That's my funny bone. That's how you get my funny bone right there. Yeah, I just, I loved Kyle. Kyle was able to sell. These were two good episodes for Kyle, too. I loved coming back to the cold open after a, a couple of weeks off in the Halsey episode and seeing Kyle Mooney playing Chuck <laughs> Todd in Meet the Press is like, okay, this is, uh, this is new, but... I loved him just saying, my cartoon character was Yoda the pesky elf. And they're saying, well, that's he's not an elf. And I don't know, just the image of him holding what could be construed as, as lurid, but also as a lightsaber. And him just being so completely subverting the expectation, I thought was a perfect way to end this sketch. This, this is one I supremely enjoyed overall. Yeah. Well, it does back up the old adage that if you use the force too much, you go blind. So I guess I understand that now. <laughs> Absolutely. And you start growing hair on your palms, you become a Wookiee. Well, I mean, where do you think, why do you think Kashyyyk is full of all those perverts? <laughs> That's why Chewbacca is so relaxed all the time. Yeah, exactly. The other big prop highlight that I want to point out was the the pound puppy pre-tape. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sold in the adult section of Petco. Yeah, I really like this one just because, again, it was all entirely hinged upon this imagery of this giant dog figure that people are supposed to get into in order to have sex. And it completely I was I was in stitches from it. And maybe it's because not to get too much into my own personal life, but I mean, we're both dog owners. It's a thing you think about. And so it's fun to have something kind of embrace that in the weirdest way possible. I was dying to see where you're going with that. Not to get too much into my own life, talking about people having sex in a giant dog puppet. Listen, they might have pulled it from my own brain. I might have pitched this on a Tuesday when they were really looking for ideas. I won't entirely say. Uh, but there was somebody small. Right, hang on, hang on. Let me, let me get into my brain on that one because that there, that uh, the movie that I've seen the most times in the theater in my life is Dumb and Dumber. And I will say the pound puppy looked just like the shaggin' wagon in Dumb and Dumber. Yes, absolutely. I want to see it soar over a, a, a hill and just completely render its shocks inert as a result and all with all those poor dogs sliding around in the back yes <laughs> so that's a, a peek into my brain <laughs> so yeah the pound puppy sketch for me it had all these subtle moments like when the box says the dog costume you can have sex in just how upfront it is that that's the slogan <laughs> i loved how when they cut to like you can use pound puppy to do all the positions you want to and it shows the two people in various positions but for one split second a third person's in there and then it just <laughs> completely moves on it it's just it was a for what, like a 45-second uh, pre-tape commercial, there was a, a surprising amount of subtle moments in there. 
Yeah, and remember, your dog will smile when you doggy style. <laughs> or throw your dog and yourself a bone. <laughs> yeah, that was that was funnier. The second time I watched that, I liked that one more because, like you said, there's a lot of little quick jokes in that one, which I appreciate. And some they slipped right past the censors. So I, I appreciate whoever let some of those jokes go this week. Yeah, uh, speaking, I guess we could sort of talk about some of the other pre-tapes in here because there were a good amount of commercials slash other song things going on. Let's let's backtrack to the Halsey episode what did you think? I know you're you're a big fan of the ladies of SNL sing. What did you think of the Valentine's Day tribute? I don't want to think about you. I really liked it. And I, I was actually kind of shocked when I read some of the reviews on Twitter and online afterwards saying, oh, it's kind of a half-baked attempt at one of the old songs the women used to do. But like, I think it fit in with those pretty well. I liked it quite a bit. I especially loved that there was a Gene cameo in there. For people who know the history of these songs, it's like 80s neighbor Gene, and she shows up as the dentist in this one. So I just, but I really liked it. What did you think of this one? So it's interesting because I know a lot of people were comparing it to, like you said, the do it on my twin bed, back home ballers, etc. But I feel like there are two sort of offshoots of that musical mm-hmm. premise where you have that girl group thing where it seems like all the ladies are getting involved. But there's this also other type of musical sketch where it's Kate and AD and the host and it's just mm-hmm. them. Like I'm thinking of the earworm of the century wishing boot is one yes. big example of that, where not everyone's involved. It's just the two of them. This feels more like that, or like the Christmas candle from the Emma Stone episode a couple of mm-hmm. years ago. That being said, I definitely enjoyed it. It, it. The lyrics themselves were not as, you know, laugh out loud, funny. There was a lot mm-hmm. of static movement going on. I wasn't sure how I felt about Keenan's sort of cameo in between in his Boys to Men comeback Barack leftover gear, but I feel like it really picked up for me once we got into the second scenario, which was Halsey with her boss, boss Colleen, uh, there were some yeah. great lyrics going on there with, you know, he sends a pic of his th- full throttle ween, and here comes my bo- my female boss, Colleen. Uh, I think my favorite line might have been, your card said I love you, and again, Colleen, you are my boss. Just the, the adamancy behind it was a lot of fun. And the theming is, rele- is, uh, is relatable, right? As I can imagine especially people who were involved in, in certain types of, you know, amorous relationships and just getting other people in their lives using Valentine's Day as, as a way to say, yeah, I love you, even though I just do business with you. And it's weird to sort of compl- conflate those two emotions. Uh, and I think the, the image of Heidi Gardner's face on it, on the aforementioned dick pic might have sold it for me. <laughs> yeah. um, it's funny that people say uh, this one wasn't as good as like those other ones, but like those were like A plus SNL sketches. Like you're comparing this to those. Those were some of the best things that came out between like 2010 and 2015. Some of those earlier songs. So to say that this was like a B plus compared to an A plus, that's not really criticizing it. Like I would admit, I would of course agree this one wasn't as strong as Do It on My Twin Bed, but I think it was you know almost as good as uh, First Got Horny to You, which is one yeah. of my favorites. So yeah, it's, I, I I don't get why people didn't like this. This, this seems like a very welcome direction for the show to go they're playing into the strengths of their performers um and i are you like a carleen or colleen whoever the boss colleen. was i like that yeah colleen do less i like that one that's just a weird a weird little phrase that i've picked up i circled here but i love especially when kate's little boy yes. gives her like the card that says i can't wait for tonight <laughs> and it's like i forget his name but it's like sign billy or something like that's just great awkward humor so i don't really get the criticism of this one this is the type of stuff I wish they did more of on the show. I thought it was very well done. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot better than Dongs All Over the World featuring Anna Kendrick, so we can do a lot worse. Yes, exactly. The other pre-tape that I want to talk about, you mentioned it before, but this Rochex commercial to me (laughs) was a work of art, in a manner of speaking, because 
it really does what SNL does best in their pre-tapes. Papyrus is another great example of this, slash Santa Baby, where dramatic actors can do gravitas so well. So put them in the most ridiculous scenarios with that weight added on. It's just huge comedic potential. This this was an amazing commercial. Yeah, and it it's not doesn't surprise me that uh, both Heidi and Kyle were in this one. Because that's the kind of stuff they're good at, the gravitas, the pathos, just, you know, working sadness into humor. So again, I, I don't know who wrote this one. It, it feels like maybe a Mikey Day one. I'm not entirely sure. But it really, it, again, it does not surprise me who was involved in that one. Because that's, that's the type of stuff I love from those two performers in particular. It was just so well scripted. I love that. Sort of like, you know, what they do with the Mucinex people of, oh, the, ro- the anthropomized roaches are moving in. Look what they represent. And then that <laughs> one moment where the Don Cheadle Roach puts his hand on Heidi Gardner's knee. It's just when everything starts to turn. And Cheadle did just such a good job. He had so many great voices this episode, but his, uh, you know, Mikey's saying, you had sex with my wife. And he goes, yeah, well, someone had to. Like, it's, <laughs> it was just such a great turn from the character, leading to this ridiculous standoff where there is a lot of surprising stakes behind it. I thought it was just so well acted, down to this poor traumatized son killing his own surrogate dad with a big can of roach x plus and heidi throwing herself weeping over his dead body (laughs) yeah it makes me realize when i watch it now a second time this one should have been earlier in the show it would have set a nice dark tone for that episode and you could have followed it with the baking championship right afterwards with a cake saying send me to hell like that would have been one of the darkest stretches in snl history if you'd had those back to back but yeah the cheeto episode is, is interesting in particular because i can't pick what my favorite part of it is I love that uh, Roach X. I love the bar dance off. I love the extreme baking championship. So that's what I can always tell it was a strong episode when I can't even pick what my favorite part was. I completely agree. And again, I love the juxtaposition, almost like a weird sandwich back to the happy tone with Beck's cheerful dialogue and the happy music playing. <laughs> well, in the background, it's just this wrinkled, crumpled body of Don Cheadle with <laughs> Heidi over him. It's so dark. I agree with you. As much as I enjoyed Pound Puppy, specifically from a visual perspective, I actually would have liked to see these two flipped. Because I wonder if Rojax mm-hmm. would have made even more of an impression if it was on earlier in the show. Yeah. I think in 10 years when you watch this episode again, that Rojax is the one people are going to remember. So yeah, I, I agree. It would have been fun. But again, maybe maybe that's Lawrence's thing. He doesn't like dark sketches one back to back like that. But uh, I do think this one deserved a lot more attention than it got here at Buried at the end. So the other thing I want to ask that strings across the two episodes I feel like these two characters are cut from a similar cloth, but I want to hear your preference. Who do you like more, Guy Who Just Bought a Boat or Jules? <laughs> well, there's one that I like a lot and one that I don't like at all. So this is like asking me to pick between being the top scientist in the world and getting mad cow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you saved Jules. No, I don't like Jules at all. And the guy that, that just bought a boat, I didn't like initially, but he grew on me. And it's just because Alex Moffat was working so hard at that character that he, he kind of won me over by the end. And I was actually silently applauding him by the end because there was so many jokes in that little uh, monologue he did. Yeah, he is going for pure quantity, like just pure <laughs> rat-a-tat-a-tat-tat machine gun fire. I will say, I, I think I enjoy Jules more than you do, and we can certainly get into him. I think personally for me, I don't know if we need the crutch anymore of the Mr. Subliminal, I have a small penis thing from a guy who yeah. just bought a boat. Because now we especially see the joke coming. There's so much, in my opinion, horrible yet fantastic wordplay going on here. From the mm-hmm. from, from a top of the me to, to you two, all the way to Chaco leads to taco. There's just so <laughs> much, like, really horrible puns crammed into this two-minute segment that I, I feel like 
the first time we did it, it was a surprise and it was fun because it's like, okay, we can hate on this character because he hates himself. I feel like now that we know the score, let's start playing a different ball with him. You know, we don't need that to go back to. We know he's sleazy enough and we can, you know, crap on him as much as we want to without him having to crap on himself as well. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to pull out a famous quote from a comedian, a dead comedian here that, you know, that that update, you had the Lady Gaga thing, you had the Instagram couple, and then you had the guy who just bought a boat. And everyone remembers the first two. They don't remember the boat one. But in my opinion, that boat one was actually the funniest one. If you listen to all the jokes and you actually yeah. pay attention to how many are in there. So I'm going to steal a line from Mitch Hedberg here to say that joke was funnier than you acted. <laughs> Yeah, I I really I just love the fact that he is to your point able to cram in so many jokes in there. I mean, when he says you can't spell can't spell Cupid without Cupid without C I D, that's just a fantastic line. And the fact of the matter is, there are so many you know self deprecating things that he puts in there without needing to say that he has a small penis every thirty seconds when he's talking about I went on a date with a girl and she had to leave five minutes in because she said her roommate was on fire. Uh, you know, like oh, you'd have your girl saying, "Okay, I'll just finish it off after you leave." Like there, there are still things you can throw in there that have him crapping on himself. I, I feel like it's just it, those are probably the most repetitive jokes to me. The most yeah. predictable jokes are the times that he keeps coming back to that recurring motif. It's just kind of hacky. Like they almost have to undercut the character because the character is so evil and nasty. They have to undercut him by making him pathetic. And it's just, to me, it's kind of hacky. Just trust that the audience is going to go with it either way. You don't need to do that. So then I guess moving on to the other side of that with Jules, do you think, because I feel like unlike Guy Who Just Bought a Boat, they really have not swung particularly in that direction yet in terms of, oh yeah, this is a guy who we know is really bad and he knows he's really bad. It seems like Jules is yet not in on the joke. Is, is that what contributes to you not necessarily enjoying him as much? Yeah, I'm not sure why I don't like him as much. I just don't. And I maybe it's Alex is a little better at that character than Beck is. I I, I actually didn't compare those two in my mind, and now I am. And and I'm trying to pick out why I like. Yeah, Jules, I don't think they quite have the voice of him down yet. But it's also one of those that I don't want them to keep trying because he annoys me. So I don't know. Just for some reason, that character doesn't resonate with me. Should, am I wrong? Do you think he should? I should go pay attention to him more? I think it depends on, honestly the relatability of it as weird as it is to say because as someone who did spend so much of their time in the arts i Uh went to college with so many jewels that (laughs) it feels like it's like watching the uh the high school theater showcase you know like that's experiences i've had that i really find enjoyable because they relate to things in my life so i've had people that would say things like, well, other kids were throwing around a football ball. I was gathering yarn for a puppet's wig. Uh, And I don't know, maybe it's because the fact the deliveries are so different. Like you said, Alex tends to go really a mile a minute in terms of his dialogue, where Bex is much more, I don't know, just slower and a little smoother, a little more legato. (laughs) It's a little bit of a different delivery. Uh, but I, I think that it's still a little bit more characterization. I think maybe the most self-deprecating moment was when he reaches out to Colin and Colin remarks that his hands are visibly dirty. I think that might have been <laughs> my favorite part of it. Uh, or when he calls Black Panther equal Panther. <laughs> okay, that one's good. Yeah, it's just maybe something about the delivery. Maybe I can't relate to that character, but I will I will defer to you that maybe Jules is actually very well done and I'm just not re- it's not relatable enough to me. I'll actually uh, I'll go back on my word here. My favorite thing actually might have been his own writing of his own Oscar-winning movie, uh, between all the shots of a white hand touching a black hand, finally, to the entirety of World War II being filmed by a baby who is a woman. Wow, Colin. Like, it's that actually, 
now I'm realizing that I think Jules might be a distant cousin of girl you didn't want to run into at a party. Yeah, maybe Jules is just every single person on Twitter. Maybe that's my problem with him. <laughs> that would be interesting if if he had like Twitter represented in the form of Jules. I feel like yeah. I feel like if you combine all the different personalities that have taken up the weekend update desk in the past two or three years, you essentially get all of social media. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he is a manifestation of social media. That's Jules. Now, now I appreciate him more. Well, speaking of, let's stay on Weekend Update, because I guess we can sort of loop, bump, lump in together all of the general correspondence. I want to go back to the Halsey episode, because you mentioned those first two correspondents. What did you think of, I would say, one of the more viral moments of this first episode? Yeah. Melissa Villasenor getting to debut her Lady Gaga impression on SNL. Yeah, I mean, Melissa, is, her bread and butter is impression, so that's playing right into her strength. And obviously, Lady Gaga's in the news, and she's got a very uh, identifiable song. So yeah, that was you know, served right up to Melissa on a tee and she ran with it and she uh, did a great job. So, although I could have done without them bringing her back the next episode, like that, really you had to, you had to play the hot hand like that. But I think on update, she was fantastic. And even Michael Che saying, uh, I'm supposed to do a joke after that. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I didn't think it was necessarily funny, but that's not a bad mm-hmm. thing because it's so damn good. It's like when you have Bill Hader or Jay Farrow do impressions on the update test, they're not necessarily funny. But they're mm-hmm. so admirable that mm-hmm. you're really just sort of staring dark-eyed and smiling because that was just a powerhouse performance. I'm glad that Melissa's finally able to showcase not only her vocals, but how versatile her vocals are. She mm-hmm. really was channeling a lot of Gaga there with the mannerisms as well. You know, the, the momentum might have gone thrown up a little bit considering that Colin kept starting and stopping her. And I do mm-hmm. totally agree. I think it's an unfortunate disservice that they do this family feud sketch the very next week and we see it twice in a row, including the same exact costume and hair. It it felt like, you know, it felt like they were trying to make a good thing happen twice when it was Uh almost diminishing returns. But I'm glad that Melissa's getting more chances at the update desk this season, uh, just because it's now that she's a full time player, she can finally spread her wings a bit. Yeah, and of course, I have kind of mixed mixed feelings on this that, uh, you know, I've I've said before that I don't. I'm not entirely sure SNL is where Melissa's ever going to shine. I don't know if she's that strong in sketches and she, she's great at impressions, but I don't know if that will really carry you as we kind of saw with Jay Farrow. There's only so far you can go on the show if you only do impressions. But there's something to be said about the fact that when she has a big moment on the show, it goes viral every time. Mm-hmm. And it's like people really want her to succeed. There's a huge section of the fan base, a huge section of social media that she might be the one that people root for the most. Like anytime she has a big moment, it becomes a huge viral hit. So there's something to be said for your likability and charisma as a performer, where you have that many people rooting for your success. And especially with SNL, that has historically been a very negative fan base that she can channel that kind of goodwill and people rooting for her. That says something about her as a person, I would say. So uh, maybe we spoke too soon in saying that Jewel is the representation of all social media because we have to talk about new Instagram couple Nico Slopkin and Brie Bacardi. I (laughs) love this. And personally, I was so happy to see Heidi have somebody to work off of because I feel like that totally renews the energy that she brings to the desk. Heidi, without question, I think is the best actor on the show. She is just amazing. I'm so impressed with her. But this is something that comes up in our house every week because my wife is not a fan of Heidi. She's like, I don't think she's very funny. She's kind of one note. It's always the same thing. And she is already turned on Heidi and she doesn't really get why I like Heidi so much. So it's it's caused stress in the marriage, Mike. It's been stressful. Oh, I'm so sorry. Do you need a <laughs> <Yeah>. pound puppy? <laughs> like, maybe. Yeah, maybe a pound puppy. Just for two, not for three. <laughs> so anyway, what, but, you know, what, so wait, what did wait, you wait, think? Wait, I had more to go on that. that oh, what yeah. I was going to say is that 
she's so good as an actor. And that's what I always say. I'm like, I don't know if she's the funniest one in the show, but it's amazing watching her perform. And I just would, it's like a treat. Anytime you get to see someone of that magnitude, bust out the acting chops and just get lost in a character. And like you said, her getting to play off somebody else really amps up what she can do so much. It's so much more impressive, I think, because now she has someone who she can bounce off and they get to do character work together. And it's, I really hope people who maybe didn't appreciate Heidi before appreciated her in this one because I think it was a lot different challenge and skill and what she was able to pull off. And on top of that, I will say Mikey Day was no slouch either. That yeah. I don't know if he gets enough credit for what a good character actor he is at times, that he bounced off her perfectly. So I would love to see the two of them do more stuff because I just like their synergy together. It's a really difficult needle to thread to be able to just have a couple of characters screaming at each other and to bring mm-hmm. humor to it. It's something that Will Ferrell was really able to pull off. He made an entire character off of someone who was just yelling at the top of his lungs and was able to to bring laughs out of it. So I was nervous for them initially when they really started fighting because sometimes conflicts can really bring some awkward feelings about, but they kept this so light in a way and the energy was just bopping about that I, I loved it. I love also, I mean... I love what they represent this like Instagram, uh, you know, Instagram inspiration people who are like 20 somethings who uh, are influencers and, you know, act like big pranksters, but are also very immature considering that they've been mm-hmm. together probably for like 15 years at this point <laughs> and with nobody else. And just when they start getting into it, it was so much fun between Nico being able to win Brie back by doing a horrible impression of Shrek. Uh, Sterling K. Brown sit down or Brie winning Nico back by singing an off key version of Backstreet Boys. Like there's just so many great things on top of Brie doing a pretty bad thing, uh, trying to bring Nico out of his hat hole by talking about, you know, I had sex with your friend Ryan on his birthday, but she was buzzed. It was just there were there was a really weird sort of amount, an arc around this three minute segment, and it really flowed well. And that's something that's very much a trademark of almost all Heidi characters. They all have an arc. And that's something that Heidi does and Kyle does. Their characters tend to have arcs. So it's really interesting to see them do that. But yeah, again, uh, shout out to Mikey for being able to hang with Heidi and matching her beat for beat. And I will always remember the phrase, you're hiding in your hat hole, which I've, I've never heard before. And I have it circled on my notes. That's something I want to in- uh, integrate into my own comic writing in the future. I love the idea of a hat hole. Absolutely. Speaking of Mikey, let's talk about uh, the character that he played on the Cheetah Weekend update. What do you think about Super Centenarian Mort Felmer and his, uh, <laughs> his announcement slash eulogies for his fellow uh, Super center- Centenarians? I like the idea of this. I don't know if it made me laugh. I think it went on a little too long. But unfortunately, something that I've seen, I saw written on social media and it occurred to me as well that I've been watching a lot of SNL from the early 80s the last couple of weeks. I've been just watching old sketches and stuff. And it's funny after seeing Tim Kazarinski do this character all the time, mm. that's all I could think of. I'm like, that's Tim Kazarinski, but did they bring him back? Like that's the exact type of stuff Tim would have done. So it was hard for me to appreciate because I'd seen something so similar to that so many times, but I, I thought it was good. I just think it went on a little long, but I always credit Mikey for doing you know, taking a big swing at these weird characters and sometimes they're huge hits and sometimes they came close. And that's what I maybe think on this one. It came close, but it was still fun to watch. Yeah. And they might revive. I married a monkey now with all the Tim Kazarinski <laughs> inspirations going around. what do you think of Mort? Yeah, this, this wasn't my favorite. I do agree that I think once he got that first reveal, you sort of saw the joke coming and there was fun wordplay, you know, like this woman went skydiving at 108 years old. She got to 40,000 feet and kept ascending right up to heaven. Th- those were fun little, <laughs> 
hooks. But when you saw it kept coming, it got a little old. Pun unintended there. It also reminded me a bit of the uh, the Herb Welch stuff that Bill Hader uh-huh. used to do on the, I think it was the Today Show, that he kept reading off people's birthdays. It, it felt like this was a fun runner, but also, how could you not have him die at the end? Would that not be a perfect button? Maybe that's too dark, because remember, this episode is already super dark, so maybe they didn't want to go for the dead centenarian in the middle of the show as well. Yeah, it just feels like after talking about someone dying so many times, that would have just been an amazing way to end it, though maybe that means that they'll bring him back. I'm not entirely sure. We'll we'll see. (laughs) Mikey has had a lot of one-time characters. I don't know if you've noticed that, between the the congressman with the big, big Bigfoot porn versus this guy like he's he's might become the new heidi in terms of just bringing in random one-off characters to to your point just try out an update yeah and again i i'm I'm a mikey day character is always welcome because he's going to do something interesting and again it might not be the best thing in the show it might not be the worst thing in the show but it will always be something interesting and you know he believed in this character and he probably fought to get it on the air so i always welcome them even though as you said mort filner is apparently immortal could not be killed maybe maybe he was dipped into the river sticks by his mother like the god achilles i'm not entirely sure oh no we got to find out i don't know maybe it's that mustache that's gonna be the weak part of him <laughs> just shave it off and then he'll be done uh, yes. th- and there's a reason why in terms of correspondence i left this one for last because i thought it was the weakest, the uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi take on the uh, emergency session in the Rose Garden, because I thought it was nice to see a different take on these two characters, to see them so childishly giddy. But it, I feel like it's it's a it shows just sort of the, in my opinion, weakened state that SNL is in when it comes to depicting politics and political characters in that it was fun. But I think there was something much more to say about all these other correspondents than them. Yeah, well. SNL tends to fall into the same habit of being, it chooses smug over funny generally. Like we won, haha, that tends to be the joke. And they'll write the entire sketch around just the smugness of it, which is very off putting because a lot of, you know, political, political stuff is like subjective, like who, which side actually won. And SNL will always choose the we won and we, and we made the dumb man look bad. Like it's very, that's the kind of off putting stuff that I think really turns people off about SNL. So yeah, I agree. It was nice to get them on update, but. It's really lazy when every single political thing they do is always the smugness. Oh, we're smug. We outsmarted the bad man. That's that's the gist of every single one they do. So speaking of that, I, I do want to sort of take care of all the political stuff as well, because it's so inherent to SNL, especially these two episodes. Uh, starting with the cold opens, did you have any thoughts about either the aforementioned meet the press slash Jeff Bezos penis gate cold open or the return of Baldwin as Donald Trump to do his uh, his state of emergency address in the Rose Garden. Well, I thought the belt, the Baldwin one with Trump was amazing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I actually like the Meet the Press one, and I remember the first time I watched it, the Halsey episode, it opened that one. It's about Jeff Bezos's penis, and I remember thinking, "All right, well, we got to get that out of the way." And I don't remember it really resonating with me, but I watched it again today in preparation for this podcast, and I'm like, "That was actually really funny." <laughs> that was I really like that. that. I'm it's so rare that I enjoy an SNL cold opening these days. I was kind of caught off guard, but a lot of it was, and this is I we I haven't really talked about this yet. The trademark of the Halsey episode, why it was so good, because Keenan. And I keep saying this in every podcast, when they let Keenan basically save every sketch in an episode, it's going to be a good episode. And watch, pay attention if we go through the Halsey episode, how many of these are Keenan basically being the narrator or the host and he saves the sketch. And that that Meet the Press one, it was funny, but it was all Keenan's reactions that were funny. And then they have it at the end, they have Kate as Wilbur Ross, which is also funny, which I laughed at quite a bit. But it's really just Keenan. Watch how good he is at saving sketches. Yeah, I will say, I think, honestly, Kate is Wilbur Ross. 
might be my favorite in the category of Kate gets into male drag as a political official. Because uh, it's a bit, you know, Giuliani vampire, but specifically Wilbur mm-hmm. Ross's definition of what a dick pick is, which is to take 10 homeless people, line them up, and decide who to switch penises with, was so out there. Uh, it really worked. And I do like, you know, if, if you're talking about SNL taking both shots across the aisle, they definitely seem to, you know, make note of when you have ADS Matthew Whitaker trying to reveal this information and Kyle saying, oh, this just in, the Bezos penis information has been released. That's all we're going to talk about now. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they poke a bit fun of that as well. And I agree, I like this one a lot more than the Baldwin one. The Baldwin <laughs> one, when I saw initially, I was like, okay, this is interesting. They're going for a lot of things. I actually think the show did not benefit from, in Weekend Update, Colin Joe's showing us actual clips of <laughs> the National Emergency press conference. Because if you did not see that, you would think that this cold open was just a wacky invention from the writers. When it turned out, unfortunately, it was more of the same that we've been griping about, which is they're just going to take this thing that happened, essentially copy and paste it, change a few words, and then just sort of restate it. And yes, yeah. I do understand that it was a weird conference, and they did things like going to the sing-songy voice and going to very basic grammar when it came to certain sentence structures. But the fact of the matter is, when you're just you know repeating essentially what happened four days before and saying, hey, remember how crazy that was, that, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't necessarily resonate for me. Yeah, not only that, but they did it twice in the same episode. They do it in the cold open and weekend update where they just play his exact speech. I mean, that's just you're you're giving up five minutes of your show to not even try to write anything about it. Yeah. Did you have any thoughts about the uh, women of Congress, the Charlie's Angels like parody of the mm-hmm. uh, the recent recent women across Congress who wore uh, white in solidarity at the State of the Union? It was interesting because I saw there was a lot of controversy or like a lot of polarizing opinions on that on social media. And I was kind of surprised. I'm like, who did that piss off? That seemed like a perfectly innocent, well done sketch. It's it's kind of like, I like the idea of that sketch. and I loved all the performances and the lines. And I I really liked the punchline that, you know, Trump tries to take credit for all these women. They're like, no, we're doing it in opposition to you. That's why we're here. But it's kind of the structure with a lot of these SNL sketches of this era that I that I think is kind of lazy that they just set up a premise and the whole sketch is like the intro of all these characters. And then it just ends. Yeah. And that's, it's the same gripe I had with the family feud when they do the dumb family feud celebrity impressions. It's like six, seven minutes of just intro. And then we just end the sketch and like, you never get to the actual game, which is why SNL celebrity jeopardy was so fun because it wasn't just the intro. They actually played the game. And that's, I think the big difference between that era and maybe a past era that they're, they're uh, fascinated with these intro sketches. You just introduce the characters and that's it. Yeah, it's and when it's done to humor, like with Dyke and Fats, then it makes sense. But here, mm-hmm. I totally agree. There was so much setup and there was really good production value. Again, with these, mm-hmm. you know, star wipes and these, you know, tagline slash real housewives lines. And it's clear that the female cast was getting into it. We got like 45 seconds in the office. I know that it probably would have been a larger production value to actually do things, but... I don't know. I would have loved to see them invest a bigger budget in a sketch mm-hmm. where they went all out with like the Charlie's Angels parody. And they could have pulled that off. That one had the structure and the chops and the people, the performers that they could have done something bigger. And obviously, you know, t- SNL sketches are time dependent. But yeah, it just seemed like it was a great premise for a sketch, but they never really went into the sketch. And that's again, this is something that this era really loves to do. And no one really ever calls them out on it. Like it's you just set up the joke and you don't actually do the joke. Speaking on that politics train, I do want to talk a bit about Weekend Update, which mm-hmm. I thought, even though I liked the Cheadle episode more than the Halsey episode, I feel like Weekend Update was much stronger overall in the <laughs> Halsey episode than the than the uh, than the Don Cheadle episode. I think 
this might have been one of the best weekend updates of the season, particularly that runner with Ralph Northam doing blackface. I just loved how they kept going back to that. It's just it's it's incredible. Is that the great irony here? Is that blackface made SNL especially funny all of a sudden? Oh boy, yeah. We'll talk about that other instance, but I I mean I just love how the one of the things that I've really chalked up to Joe and Che in this era is that they're breaking form from what their predecessors have done before them. And they do it here as well. Maybe you could say like it's not something that you know Norm Macdonald would do in terms of bringing back random one-time jokes to just keep doing it over and over again. Like they said, it was a it was a deep well to plumb, and I'm happy that they were able to bring up enough water from there rather than just sort of mention it, do a Michael Che talks about it for thirty seconds, and then leave it alone. Yeah, it's, again, that's my bread and butter that I try to do as a comedy writer is I love callback jokes. Callback jokes are the greatest if you set them up well. And that whole update was callback jokes to the fact that the point that I think Colin even did one at the end. He goes all the way back to the blackface at the end. So, yeah, I just I that was that was maybe my favorite weekend update of the season. And just the, again, the Halsey episode just had so much momentum all the way through at least the first hour and update just killed. So it's yeah, that I absolutely agree with you that that wasn't one of the highlights of February. The Weekend update segment in the Halsey episode. Yeah, and the second one had some interesting moments. I didn't feel like the audience was necessarily on their side. Like, Shay was getting some groans when they were talking about the Ryan Adams sexual assault accusations. It's just a white man doing what a black man did first, cut to R. <laughs> Kelly. Like, there were a couple of groan-worthy moments, and maybe there weren't as many uh, big bombastic runs going or events going on that week. They did have the interesting, like, 10 second cutaway of Pete as the builder working on the slats the wrong way. I love the awkward smattering of applause that happened at least twice during that Don Cheeto one. And it's funny because SNL is famous for having such a hot crowd that like they go crazy when anybody does anything on the show. Like, woo, like Dalek Baldwin standing ovation. Like just, they just get their hot crowd at all times. And in that Don Cheeto episode, the, uh, the myth was kind of dispelled a little bit because you got these, there was at least two moments during update where like just a smattering of applause in the crowd and it was so awkward and it was kind of just, it made me laugh just the, uh, the awkwardness of it. Well, it didn't help that Colin Joes keeps doubling down for some reason on this pro Amazon opinion <laughs> of, Ooh, no, we lost out on 25,000 jobs. And it's like, dude, I don't want to get too much into the specifics of this. That wasn't going, those jobs were not going to go to New Yorkers. You need to like, you need to realize this and stop perpetuating this opinion. It's making things worse for you when you already are not coming across too well on the internet. Hey, I love awkward humor. If he wants to go for a stance that the audience is absolutely not behind, I say go for it because I just, I find awkwardness funny. I just, I appreciate that he's going for it just because I like the spectacle. Well, let's go back to the Halsey episode, because I know you want to dig into some of this. Give me, uh, let's start off with a sketch that you really want to talk about for one reason or another. (laughs) Oh, well, we have not mentioned the best sketch in either of these episodes, which was the blackface sketch, the Virginia State Capitol. Yeah, this was, I really loved how, it's odd to attribute this adjective to it, but how simple this was. Uh This reminds me so much of like your typical group game improv scene, where it's one straight person and a bunch of crazy person who, the game is that, oh, they all think that blackface is fine. This sounds like a horrible improv scene, but it really was structured so soundly in that that it was essentially just these stupid people batting these questions back and forth to an increasingly beleaguered Keenan. And there was just so many funny moments in here coupled with the performances of these people. I think they were really teetering on this line where it's a tough subject to talk about, but the fact that none of these people were coming across as malicious, rather they were just Mm -hmm. stupid, I think really helped the sketch. Yeah, and there's I have a lot to say about this sketch. I'll try to focus my thoughts here, but A, watch the sketch again and watch how there's not one line in that sketch that isn't funny. 
Like there's not one throwaway line. Every single line delivers and they're all different. They're not repeating the same joke over and over. It's like they're actually finding every little asterisk of someone maybe how they would have worn blackface in the past. So I appreciate how well written it was and how tight it was. And again, you just got to go back to Keenan being the narrator, the game show host, the straight man selling everybody's line that his reaction to their line makes it funnier. And this is something I will say over and over and over again. It's the Phil Hartman. Will Farrell was good at it. Uh, lots of people have been good at this over the years. If you can sell the other person's joke, it makes everything funnier. And Keenan, absolutely the MVP of that sketch, absolutely the MVP of this episode, this season. But that sketch was a perfect example of how a sketch was amazing to start with. And just throw Keenan in there reacting to everybody else. It'll make it even better. Could not agree more. I think he was the perfect person, a season pro, to again counter a sketch that had such incendiary material but do it in a way to really say and underline wow these people are stupid they're not coming from any place of hate i will say to your point that you know there there was not not a laugh line in the bunch i was very surprised that kyle's al jolson reference went over (laughs) like a lead balloon because i love that line I don't know if it went over like a lead balloon is I don't think the audience is young enough to actually get that reference. And you go back to uh, uh, the one with uh, what's his face? Uh, Daryl's house. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You're playing Al Jolson. Yeah. Al Jolson music. So for some reason, they love Al Jolson references on SNL, but it's such an old reference that most of the young audience won't even get what they're talking about. But yeah, that's actually the most offensive line in that blackface sketch. And it goes by so quick. The audience, like, again, it's not like they didn't like they they booed the line they just didn't have time for it to register or process what that joke actually was there were so many good parts in here but to what you said earlier about mikey day's maybe at this point underrated comedic potential he i don't know if you noticed this makes keenan and pete break by talking about one time in college part of my costume was a big old black booty (laughs) and you could see pete cracking up in the background and keenan wrinkling his face because mikey just you could tell that that was the first new line reading that mikey had given it just a sort of habit debut live on tv and they reacted properly to it oh yeah okay now i gotta watch that again because i kind of forgot about that but yeah that's if you want to watch just a almost a perfect example of sketch comedy just watch that blackface sketch and yeah it might be offensive whatever your stance on the issue is but like just from a straight comedian writer you know performance perspective that is almost a flawless snl sketch and i cannot say enough about it uh, i just loved you know what if the costume was for a contest well, what was the contest black his face just <laughs> the fact that they don't or, or cecily saying you know uh she what if it was a woman and they said oh no i dressed up as you know fat al sharp and he says well why did you ask that she goes oh yeah for next time just <laughs> the fact that they don't get it it could be something that keeps getting dug into the ground but i guess the fact that there were so many of them definitely helped and then it wasn't just a back and forth one person doesn't get it it was an entire room of people who don't get it it was it was fantastic that that was my favorite i know you like the roach sketch but the blackface one to me was the best sketch of the month so i guess if we're staying on this line of keenan being the focal point of sketches should we talk about this camsfanonly.com thing (laughs) <laughs> I really like that one. And like, it wasn't my favorite, but when I was watching it today, I'm like, how come I didn't register with the sketch the first time I watched it? Cause I was just writing little notes and circling things I wanted to talk about. I'm like, how come I don't remember the sketch being this funny? And it just was because it's all Keenan. Yeah. I think this one might've gone on a bit too long in my opinion, but I think the yeah. concept was so out there and it's real. Camfansonly.com is a real site. <laughs> I love how they got into the specificity of it. I love how matter of fact Keenan was. It was a very odd tug of war where, again, it's not a one crazy person, all straight people or vice versa. Like by the end, Halsey's character comes to his side. Leslie's character is on board when she finds out how much he's making. It was 
it was very oddly plotted, but the fact that it was so specific and Keenan really sold it as just, uh, you know, an ordinary Joe who just happens to make bounty of cash sitting on a cake with his bare ass makes that lifts that sketch, in my opinion. I don't know who else could have sold that sketch. I'm thinking you always think Will Ferrell or like Taron Killam or Bill Hader could sell a sketch. But like you need someone with the earnestness of Keenan. So I don't know who else could have sold that sketch any better. And again, I to follow up what you mentioned, camsfanonly.com, a one of the proud sponsors here of SNL After Party. Of so course, I'm glad yes. you give them a shout out. Yeah. Yes. Please enter the code Mario to get uh, 30 minutes free of your favorite cake butt video. <laughs> That's right. Some hot Italian action. <laughs> the other sketch that I want to talk about that I that I enjoyed, or at least what I was really interested in, this this wasn't two these were two episodes that were a bit shy on Pete Davidson, but I will say I was surprised by that Riverdale sketch. I did not think Pete Davidson had it in him. I will begrudgingly agree with you that I thought he was really funny in that. And I, I'm the one who always, I'm the naysayer. I'm the, the bad boy here who never appreciates the, the comedy, the young styling comedy of Pete Davidson. But he was really good in that. That was a solid sketch. And Pete indeed made that sketch. Although, again, not to take away from the fact that Keenan's yeah. selling every one of the jokes. Yeah, this is another, the theme of this episode was everyone is dumb but Keenan. But uh, somehow it was able to work. I mean, I think Pete was surprisingly more physical and goofier than I expected between his very odd British accent, his taped on mustache and eyebrows. And by far the best part of this sketch was you have Halsey and Beck trying to do these weird Riverdale scenes. And then you have Pete flopping around like a fish out of water violently. Just the violent thrashing made that sketch for me. So have you officially convinced yourself the Halsey episode was better than the Don Cheadle episode now that even the last sketch in the Halsey episode was very funny? Nope. No, <laughs> for me, Mike, I you thought, ignorant slut. Yes, I, the the I, it, the the Cheadle episode had higher highs for me, and I just loved Cheadle as a host overall. And you know what? Let, we can move into doing some Cheadle, unless you had some other uh, Halsey things you wanted to put out there. Oh, I got plenty to talk about on the Halsey episode, bitch. Come on, we're going to go into this now. <laughs> okay. I'm going to convince you. All right, go ahead. Go All ahead. Right. Lay it on so me. The Halsey episode. I'm going to go straight through the Halsey episode, and I'm going to say there was not one weak sketch in that entire episode, and that is very rare. That even in the best SNL episodes, that usually doesn't happen. We have the meet the press at the start, which is funny because you got Wilbur Ross and you got Keenan, of course. That's strong. It's one of the better SNL cold openings of the year. Then you got her monologue where she talks about it's very earnest, what a big fan she was. And it's very endearing. It's a nice monologue. And you got them Trumps, which I don't know if it's the greatest sketch they do this season, but it's very I love how abrupt and how short it is. And again, it's just a Keenan showcase. Do you think there was a downside that because we saw this again, we knew the joke was coming? Because I think what worked for them Trumps the first time was just how succinct it was and how much like you said how abrupt the ending was did it deter you a bit that we knew what was going to come no because i think the, the episode already had a momentum that you could kind of forgive that mm, that, does, that does make sense yeah it's momentum momentum is always the key on these episodes that's how i judge them so them trumps was fine then we get the blackface sketch best maybe best of the season one of the top five sketches of the season i would argue then you got the valentine's day song which i thought was very strong and again i don't get the criticism of that one Including Gene. We could see Gene again. Big deal. <laughs> then we get Mikey Day as the architect with the parents who have horrible maladies, which we haven't even talked about. But I thought that was a really funny Mikey Day sketch. I, th I thought that was a pretty good one. I think, honestly, my opinion might be hampered by the fact that uh, you want that reveal of Halsey what? sticking up her two nubs of arms in Cass. Yeah. Why, oh, why did you show her fumbling with the coffee cup before the reveal? That makes okay. no sense. It's a magician showing their trick before they pull the rabbit out of the hat. 
I'll give you that. It was not flawless, but the idea of it was very funny, and there were some great lines like, your mother's been shot, and they hang up the phone, just little stuff like that. I, I do like how, again, it, it speaks towards the fact that they're just completely ignorant of it, you know, especially when he calls back when Betcha says, oh, Randy, you're home. Like, th- <laughs> no, he wouldn't be home. I, I do like how increasingly ridiculous it got. I thought this was actually one of Halsey's best sketches. Uh, huh? It makes sense because this was probably the one that she had the most lines in, but I think she was totally going toe-to-toe with Beck in terms of that energy. Yeah, and you're saying, okay, maybe this isn't the best Mikey Day sketch in the world, but compare this one to the centerpiece Jeopardy sketch, which just absolutely dragged that Don Cheadle show to a halt. So I'm, I'm, I'm clearly winning the, at this point, Mike. Uh, Mike. So right, anyway, the Mikey Day sketch, hang on, I'm not done. Let me finish. All right, so then we have the Women of Congress, which was strong enough. I mean, it could have done better, but it wasn't bad. Then you had one of the best weekend updates of the season that was just all the blackface jokes, Lady Gaga, the Instagram couple. It was just strong. Then you have the Sorority Girls Karaoke, which was a very sloppy sketch, and it wasn't done all that well, but it was enough. There was enough energy behind it, and and the fact that they actually were very good singers, and they were pulling off what's going on. Like it was actually had some energy in that sketch. And like I said, momentum has sold this episode. So you can deal with a sketch like that that maybe not be perfect, but it was fun. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I feel bad for poor, poor Halsey because she was clearly either the cues were off or she was off. But there were just a few awkward moments where she was holding out a note way too long, but they, they made it work. And look, I mean, I will say uh, I wish the audience had not laughed over the racist parrot because I want to yes. I wanted to hear what it had to say. Yeah. And now I'm going to say now we go into Black History Month featuring Kyle which is just wonderfully awkward and just such a Kyle sketch that I love that one. It didn't get a lot of huge laughs, but it was such a Kyle Mooney concept I had yeah. to love. It reminded me it reminded me a lot of the uh the tribute the sketch, you know, tribute to women that Beck and Kyle did that was them stepping in front of the sketch and like interrupting yes. it to talk about things. I I do love when they're purposely tone deaf and I think the sketch did come <laughs> across well. I agree with yeah. that. Kyle White splains to all the black members of the cast. And then now we have Keenan at dinner spreading his ass cheeks onto a cake. The show is over. We're to the end now. Now we get Riverdale. There is not one dud sketch in that entire bunch. And I defy you to find one other episode this season where there wasn't a single dud. So I rest my case and I wouldn't drop my mic, but it will ruin the podcast. So I won't <laughs> drop the mic, but consider this a spiritual mic drop. All right. Perfect. Uh, I, so then you'll pass the mic off to me. And I think you're bringing up some good points. I think this might be whether whatever metric you judge the episodes by, this is probably the most consistent episode. We've had yes. this season. And I think that counts even episodes like Liev Schreiber and Matt Damon, which I think had higher highs, but also hit moments of weakness. It yes. does seem like this, to your point, had good momentum if you're judging the episode on the whole. Yeah, it depends on how you judge an SNL episode. Are you looking for these huge highs, these huge viral moments? Or are you just looking for consistency? And I, I would argue that is the most consistent episode of the season. And it's in my top three, if not my top two. And I know a lot of people didn't like the Halsey episode. So I'm really stepping out on a limb here to try to sell people on this one being an especially fun episode. Moving to the second episode, we can sort of talk through the ones we haven't spoken about yet. Speaking of recurring sketches, what do you think about our second entry here into fresh takes the freshman news show i thought it was good you know i've seen them do stuff like that on the show before like it didn't really seem especially original they love playing little kids so i kind of wrote in my notes here nice try but like a lot of it i didn't think was was all that great i didn't know if don Cheadle's character was that great but the uh the awkward prom uh proposal where he asks her and she says no and then it says she says yes as he storms off that was a fantastic kyle mooney moment which i just I can never get enough of Kyle Mooney moments on SNL. So the awkward, sad, painful comedy. I did like that. Yeah, I would say the first two thirds of this sketch was a lot of fun. I, I believe when we spoke about the sketch last, I'd said, you know, I kind of wish that if they were going for more of like a 
panel news format for high school and make it more about the high school issues. And they uh-huh. did that somehow. I, I love how they were on cold sore watch complete with, <laughs> you know, the graphic and everything. And Kyle's big screen theory about how all this was, you know, ground zero or patient zero was this ski trip that these 12 promiscuous teens went on. I totally agree. I think the highlight for me was Kyle asking Kate's character to the winter formal. She says, no, he says, okay, just kidding. And he walks away as she says, yes, pops up on the screen. <laughs> Undersold moment, though, is uh, the advertisement for uh, for Disrap Club, where Chris <laughs> says, listen, girl, your shoes are whack. And he just breaks down saying, what? You have no idea what I'm going through right now. Yeah. And then cut to Mikey being like, uh, can someone make sure she's OK? <laughs> Everything else after that, like, I don't think we needed Leslie's nurse quips. I don't know if we needed. We introduced the Don Shield character before as like the overly eager teacher. I don't know if we needed him talking about spilling coffee on teachers and trying to show off his vicious V, but it was fun enough, and it at least introduced how game and energetic Cheetle was for all this, which definitely shown throughout. Yeah, I will I will grant you all those concessions. You are right. That was that was one of the better uh, sketches in this episode. Well, let, let's go into, I totally agree that I think, I would say by far the worst, oh, well, it's tough, because the cold open was not great either, but the mm-hmm. b- worst sketch of this episode has to be Celebrity Family Feud, and there were still <laughs> fun moments in there, but I feel like they still need to crack the code in how to do this without, to your point, introducing eight people in an extended sequence and then play one round of Family Feud and that's it. Yeah, it's tough. Again, the the structure of Celebrity Jeopardy is always going to work better because there's only three contestants, four if you add in Turd Ferguson, sometimes making a cameo. But yeah, eight people is a little much, especially when they don't just say one line. Like if you go back and you watch the original Celebrity Jeopardies, they would just have like the, the game is mine. It would just be like one little line as their intro. This one, you have like Glenn Close doing an entire monologue and you got Bradley Cooper coming out with Lady Gaga. Like they're, they're throwing in too many jokes during the intro that there's no room for the sketch afterwards. And most of the jokes they're throwing in aren't that great to start with. So it's just like a, a decision-making process. I just disagree with the decision behind these celebrity family feud impression sketches. Cause I just don't think it works. They're never going to be able to pull it off with that structure. Add on top of that, that for every time they say something, Keenan's going to say something back yes. as Steve Harvey. So that's almost doubling the length of time it takes to get through it. That being said, I don't think there were any impressions that I really had a problem with. You know, we spoke about the diminishing return to Melissa as Lady Gaga, but I was happy to see Kyle back as Bradley Cooper, if only for him to say that he had this genius idea that after seeing her at the halftime show at the Super Bowl, maybe she could play a singer. Uh, I was sad that we didn't get more of Pete Davidson as Rami Malek, because I know that's a comparison that has been warranted for the past few years. Mm-hmm. I was a bit confused by the actual, I know this is me getting into a lot of minutia, but the actual breakdown of the teams, because mm-hmm. you would think if it was newbies versus veterans, <laughs> Mahershala Ali has won an Oscar, he's now won two Oscars, but he won an Oscar before coming on to this. Shouldn't he be switched with this Olivia Coleman woman who the big joke is nobody knows who she is? <laughs> all right. First of all, you're overthinking it uh, a little bit, but I will say it's kind of refreshing, Mike, that in the past, our overall, you know, recap of an SNL episode is, well, this one sucked. I don't want to talk about it, but these episodes were so strong. We're actually able to nitpick the decision process of the one week yeah. sketch. So I'm, it's, it's kind of refreshing. We get to go into this level of uh, Jerry Seinfeld like minutia. So <laughs> yeah, we, we have to, we have to vent this gas somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, that was, it's like the one it's, I don't have a whole lot to say about this family feud sketch. Cause I just, I think they're kind of worthless, but again, it's the, really the one weak thing in these two episodes and that's incredible for this season. So that, that says something right there. One Steve Harvey line that I think might've been his best was she was named by a baby lady Gaga that really had the, the audience going. It's so stupid, but it's so Steve Harvey. 
But speaking of stupid fun, I want to talk about this bar fight sketch because <laughs> this is just one of those fun SNL sketches that is such a silly, stupid idea. It reminds me of, you put this on your SNL Funny 115, right? Was it the Paul Rudd, Vanessa Bayer, like, breakup sketch where every time a song comes, this, that specific song comes on, they just get into it completely? I didn't do that one. Uh, the one I was comparing it to was Les Jeunes de Paris. Oh, okay. That's the one I was talking about. Yeah, the Terry and Killen, the French dancing sketch. So, I mean, yeah, th- that was, I guess, a little more uh, apropos when it comes to the aesthetic. But, mm-hmm. I mean, watching Don Cheadle and Beck just throw themselves into this mm-hmm. dance was delightful. I mean, I got a legitimate smile across my face when they broke into that group dance at the end. Yeah, it's this is one that I kind of watched it the first time. I'm like, oh, that was cute. They're doing Les Jeunes again. And then, like, it, it became a huge viral hit. And, like, the next day on Facebook, that's all the things I saw on my SNL feed were just people talking about that dancing sketch. Like, oh, that was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. So I'm like, I better go back and watch that one again. If that one resonated with so many people. And it was like non-SNL fans were saying, did you see this last night? Oh, my God, I can't believe SNL did something this funny. So I went back and watched it again. I really appreciated it the second time how fun it was and the spirit behind it and just, yeah, the whole aesthetic behind it and the song they picked and how they were commenting on the lyrics. And yeah, it was it was a very fun sketch. So it was, yeah, a, a good stand. Again, if you've seen like Les Jeunes, if you know all those dancing sketches they did six, seven years ago, you might think this wasn't that unique. But if you don't know that stuff, then this is like, wow, that's really cool. Very unique stuff on SNL. And I always do appreciate when they do weird, non sequitur stuff like this. And I'm a big fan of Mika as well, and I actually do love that Lollipop song, so I was totally bopping along, and it got stuck in my head significantly after watching this both times. And I love the fact that you saw them slowly get sucked into the rhythm, but they were still trying to keep up this, the tough guy image. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Don Shields breaking it down by talking about, you know, it means that you can't try too hard. You gotta let things come to you. Your dumbass probably thought it was talking about the candy. Like, I love how <laughs> they were still trying to keep up this guy while getting sucked into the song. And then a pretty believable punch by Don Cheadle and Beck Bennett yeah. at the end. I thought it was a really, it was a nice, cute way to end the sketch after you thought everything was going to be fun in the end. That's what you get when you hire an award-winning dramatic actor. A very realistic punch at the end of a dance scene. Well, speaking of weird ways to end things, let's talk about the final sketch of these two episodes. The (laughs) Regal Promenade Pavilion. So I didn't realize before I watched this the second time that there is a very specific commercial for a banquet Mm -hmm. hall in Brooklyn that this is based off of down to the man in the tuxedo with a very indece- indeterminate accent. Once mm-hmm. you watch that, that makes more sense. Sort of like when Will Ferrell and Kate did the uh, the outtakes of the old people who can't talk about the chicken pot pie. But mm-hmm. otherwise, this was a total 10 to 1 sketch in terms of just weird details. Yeah. And again, a 10 to 1 sketch is not supposed to be a masterpiece. That's where they throw the... the uh yeah, you know, the idea is that maybe you're not a fully formed out or Lauren is not 100% sold on. It's like someone's passion sketch they've been trying to get on the air for five years. So I will never criticize a 10 to 1 sketch. They either work for you or they don't. This one didn't especially work for me, but I always like the idea of any 10 to 1 sketch. So, you know, someone believed in that idea and that sketch and they were having fun with it. So more power to them. This got better for me as it went along. I'll admit I was a little taken aback. I'm like, OK, it's interesting that Kate is playing a man. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, but I guess the pairing works. Her and Eddie work together well as a pair, and they both have these very odd accents. But I-, I think that there were so many odd things between the performances and just the details they got thrown in here. Like, if your brother's going to get in a fistfight or a christening, please have it here. And <laughs> the Stefan-esque details of holding a wedding at the pavilion include screaming eight-year-old in a tuxedo, a dad <laughs> with a wad of cash, 
a free balloon stuck to the ceiling, pink soap that hates your hands. Just, I think the more specific they got into it, and I think actually the best part might have been Cheadle appearing in all of his different roles as the <laughs> chef and the DJ, and I can't remember the last one, but it, I do like him just sort of popping that out with this really awkward delivery and mispronouncing Bar Mitzvah. This had a charm to it, and to your point, it's imperfect, but it's 10 to 1. It is something that got tried out there, and it's totally out of this world, but there were some fun things to enjoy about it. It was, it was a nice, solid way to end the, the night, in my opinion. Yeah, as with all 10 to 1 sketches, it's imperfect, but it's beautiful. Aw, in all of its great ways. Do you have anything else you want to say about these two episodes before we look ahead to what's to come in March? Uh, the only thing I wanted to say is, obviously, again, just the first episode, the Halsey episode, really fun game, a good-natured, charismatic host, and then Keenan selling the hell out of every sketch. The second episode was really interesting because there actually wasn't that much Keenan in the second episode, and the thing that he was in, like the Celebrity Jeopardy, bombed, I think. So it was very interesting that they were both solid episodes, and Keenan did not have to save that second episode. It was actually fairly good even without him. So just a very encouraging effort if you've been following SNL over the past two, three seasons and the arc they've taken since, you know, the Trump election and just what kind of show they've tried to turn into that this is the first time in a while I think they've had two above average episodes. And with John Mulaney coming up next, he's the next episode, right? Mm -hmm. And we'll definitely talk about that. Yeah. There's a very strong chance you're going to have three solid episodes in a row, which will go a long way towards maybe changing my opinion on the season a little. Like, maybe we are going to have a strong second half like last season. Maybe there is a chance you can salvage this one and make this a pretty good SNL season. So I am cautiously optimistic yet again. Yeah, I wonder to your point about Keenan not appearing in the second episode. I don't want to make a one-to-one -one comparison completely, but I wonder if Don Cheadle sort of helped mm -hmm. fill those roles. It's possible, yeah. yeah. I'm just so enamored with him as a host, and maybe they felt like because he was able to step up in such leading roles, they don't need their glue as much like Keenan. I'll just completely double down on what we said before. I think these were two solid episodes of a season that has not been completely solid so far. Uh, in the rankings that I did, I currently have Don Cheadle as number three behind Liev Schreiber and Matt Damon, and Halsey as number six behind mm -hmm. Seth Meyers and Rachel Brosnahan. After we've talked about this, I might bump Halsey up because I do think, especially upon review, it's a super consistent episode in a season where we mm -hmm. haven't necessarily had that. But this was a good month for SNL, yeah. especially to talk about in review. Let's look ahead to March. So you mentioned John Mulaney making his return his second season in a row, which is a pretty quick turnaround and just speaks to how how well acclaimed his season mm -hmm. was last, uh, his episode was last season. That was my favorite episode of the season personally with musical guest Thomas Rhett the week after, and this was leaked actually in a, a picture that I think was of the storyboards all the way back in the fall, Idris Elba makes his SNL debut with musical guest Khalid. Mario, what are your thoughts about the John Mulaney and Idris Elba episodes considering the host behind them? Well, yeah, John Mulaney was without question my favorite of last season. In fact, I kind of, I think, made a joke last year on the podcast that I like the John Mulaney episode more than I like SNL. <laughs> I thought, let's just have John Mulaney host every episode. That'd be a fun show. But I am more than happy that he's coming back this year. I just think I love his sensibility. I think his lighthearted touch and his his uh, confidence in his writing of, of, of uh, very odd sketches. The confidence really comes through when he's on there. That stuff gets trotted out that might not have been trotted out before. And I'm tr thinking especially, you know, the Diner Lobster sketch last season, which mm -hmm. that was clearly his. Or the switcheroo sketch where uh, he focuses specifically on yes. when the dad switches bodies with the son, these sexual ramifications of the son having to have sex with the mom. 
Yeah, and that's such a John Mulaney sketch. And then I think back even to another one that I loved at the time, and I never hear people talk about it. The one with the horns with uh, Luke Knoll and Heidi as the guy removing the horns and the doctor saying that he's not going to be like an accountant now. Like that was just such a John Mulaney showcase that I'm just dying to see what Mulaney version 2.0 looks like on SNL. So I am really, this is this the episode I'm most excited for this season after the Adam Driver one. I was so excited to see him. This is the other one. Uh, Idris Elba, I don't know that much. I know he was in The Dark Tower, the Stephen King movie, I believe, right? Wasn't he the gunslinger? Yes, and you would also probably more properly know him as Charles Minor from the that one arc on The Office. Oh, that's Charles Minor. I did not put two and yeah, two together. Yeah, that's uh, String, Stringer Bell, uh, Luther, uh, leading candidate for James Bond that the internet is to believe oh. Idris Elba. Okay, I hope at some point Phyllis gets a soccer ball into the face. It was Phyllis, right? Or maybe it was Meredith. I forget. Yeah, either, either or. Uh, yeah, Idris Elba, I'm excited for because he, I think he sort of lives in this, this cheetah world of a very good dramatic actor, but he has, as we talked about with his office appearance, a lot of potential for comedy as well. Oh. He was also, uh, voted sexiest man alive this year. So I think that there's probably going to be some, some play into that. But huh. these are two really exciting hosts. And I'm super excited for John Mulaney because, as you said, say what you want to about the writing this season. Hopefully, if they give John Mulaney the chance again to pull out some stuff from the chest that mm-hmm. he either did not get put onto SNL or, you know, he's been working on on the side, that makes me super excited because he is totally my aesthetic when it comes to comedy. So as long as they let him do his thing, it's going to be great. And I'm really excited to see what Idris Elba is going to bring as a performer. I think we have a, as you, to your point with Mario, I think we have a great potential for a turnaround here on the season. Yeah, we could have four strong episodes. I, I had no idea that was Charles Minor from The Office. And my daughter is like the world's biggest Office fan. And she, for years, has been saying the funniest episodes ever on The Office are the Charles Minor ones. So I did not realize that was him. Oh, this is this. You have a potential for two really special episodes in a row here. I'm excited about this. And I, I'm worrying I'm getting my hopes too high now for Mulaney. Like, you, you got to watch that with this current era of SNL. Don't get your hype, hopes up too high because they're going to kick you in the nuts at some point. So. But I, I'm crossing my fingers that the, uh, the Mulaney episode has the potential to be something special. Well, we'll go hide in our hat holes for the next <laughs> month and observe these two episodes from afar. And assuming, I don't think they've announced the third episode yet, but you have to assume we're, I think, 13 episodes in. We've got six more left. You'd have to believe that, or eight episodes left. You'd have to believe that we're going to probably get a third episode in there. So no matter when it comes, Mario and I are going to be back at the end of March to talk through all the stuff that has occurred over the course of March. Hopefully a lot of good as it was with February. But make sure you are subscribed to this podcast because John and Steve are going to keep coming back, starting with the John Mulaney episode next week to do more of their deep dive recaps on each episode. Uh, In the meantime, if you want to hear from us or talk to us about anything SNL related or pop culture related in general, you can follow us on social media. Mario is at Mario J. Lanza. I am at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, Mario, what's been going on with you in the world of staff picks? Uh, let's see. I have, uh, again, my underrated movies podcast. I just started my second season. I, uh, started off with Mr. Mom, the classic comedy with Michael Keaton from the early eighties, where basically it was just a chance for us to gush about how at one point in history, Michael Keaton was a bigger star than Tom Hanks and people should remember him as being really big deal. And I just released an episode on Borat, which might be the funniest movie ever made. And it might be the funniest episode of staff picks ever made. If you want to see here, me and my co-host just go completely explicit and ir, uh, irresponsible and with some of our jokes and some of the things we're making fun of, go to staffpicks.podbean.com and check out my Borat episode. And uh, upcoming, I'll see, I'm doing a 
two-part episode back-to-back. We're talking about the two magic movies from 2006. Mm. We have The Prestige and we have The Illusionist, and I'm doing back-to-back episodes where I try to convince you that one is better than the other in both episodes. So, Ooh, the ultimate trick. <laughs> that's right. The ultimate trick is convincing the world that the devil didn't exist. That's what we're doing. That I'm going to convince you that each one is better than the other one. Nice. I like it. They're almost twins of each other in a manner of speaking. Uh, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. You know, the reality TV season is really built to a fever pitch, especially with the premiere of Survivor last week. So I'm putting out a lot of stuff in the Rob has a podcast atmosphere. I'm also covering Star Trek Discovery for The Hollywood Reporter. If you go to THR.com slash Star Trek Discovery, if you're into that, if you are not deterred by William Shatner telling you to get a life in an infamous sketch several decades ago, feel free to check that out. I've been having a lot of fun with it. So that's going to do it for this month in review for February 2019 for Saturday Night Live season 44. I'm super intrigued to hear what you guys have to say about these two episodes, if you agree or disagree, as well as what you're going to expect from the John Mulaney Idris Elba, and whatever may come when it comes to SNL 44. We'll be back at the end of March to talk about it all. Thank you all so much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.